Hello and welcome. You're listening to Great Minds Don't Think Alike on Sin Nation. You're with Christian, Amaret, and Julia. And today we're going to talk about overprotective parents of people on the spectrum and this idea of learned helplessness. We will also be speaking to Catherine Ania from um, ASAM, which is the Autistic Self Advocacy Network, Australia, New Zealand. You can like us on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash great minds on sin and you can follow us on twitter at great minds sin and um, we also podcast all our shows plus special features like interviews through our sin webpage. um you can find the sin webpage at www.org.au forward slash show forward slash great hyphen minds hyphen don't hyphen think hyphen alike and we are going to be talking about overprotective parents. Woo! Woo! <laughs> so, um, Christian, do you have any stories? Um, well, no personal stories. Thank, thank. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to say that my parents were certainly not overprotective. Um, as for the parents I've seen, um, well... <laughs> That's a different story. Yes. Um, well, I was at the Victorian Autism Conference last week, um, which was basically most of the audience was sorry to say, full of overprotective parents. Like, I went to one presentation that was about higher education, so about um, t- talking to the disability liaison unit, and one of the things that came up was parents who want to speak to the DLU for their student, even though they're over 18. So in that case, you know, the student actually has to sign, a f- sign away um, permission to the parent to speak for them. They, they legally can't mm. do it. And I think, well, if anything, that should be a sign that maybe it's, it's about time to let the student sort this out for themselves. Because yeah. if, they're always just, if they always know that their parents are going to do it for them, they're never going to have the incentive to learn to, to do these things by practice themselves. Yeah, exactly. Um, and if anything, that's probably hindering their children, like... You know. Yeah, it takes away that, that independence and the maturity as well. You know, when you're young, your parents do things for you. They make decisions for you because you are not capable of making them yourself. You become an adult and you need to start making those decisions for yourself. That's a natural process of becoming more mature and understanding the world. And if you're not given that opportunity, then you're never going to get to that place. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. really very much a vicious cycle of well, they're, they're not ready for it, therefore we're not going to let them ch- try to take control of these things by themselves, but if they never get the opportunity to take control of these things by themselves, then they're going to learn. It's, it's this horrible, vicious cycle. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, you see it all the time, especially parents. It's, I've noticed it's mostly parents who do it because they feel like they're the closest to their child and they do need to be that bubble for their child and their child yeah. can't cope if they are given the choice by themselves and all that sort of stuff. And I mean, I guess, yeah, I, I totally see, like, I don't think it comes from a place of malice. I think it comes from a place yeah. of love. However, love can be suffocating. Mm. And, um, <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's definitely inconsiderate to say, oh, my God, look at these parents. They're terrible they're hindering these i mean yes they are hindering these people's lives but they're not trying to somehow they're trying to actually help and yeah they have that idea of i'm just trying to assist them to speak for themselves even though you're not actually yeah. allowing them to and i mean speak i guess themselves. i guess with other disability groups i've had similar like oh gosh am i am i trying to be too helpful sometimes because i was um i remember organizing an event and there was someone who has a wheelchair and i was just like is this place okay? And she's like, oh, yeah, I, I usually come here. Like, okay, sorry if I was seeming really annoying. I mean, it is, it is a difficult, <laughs> it's a difficult, um, and like, 
I yeah, mean, it's it's yeah. difficult to know how much you know when when are you being considerate and when are you being thoughtful um, and and when are you just be sort of being you know, overbearing, overprotective, like yeah. overdoing it. Like you know, I am an adult. I can <laughs> I can look after myself in some capacity. One that. um one this is just a different disability, but um I have a friend who is vision impaired, not visually impaired, vision impaired. Yeah, and um I I was say he he went to the formal with me as a friend and um. We were going out, outside, and it was dark, and I was like, be careful, there's a there's a gate there. And he's like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, seriously, there's a gate there. <laughs> so he walked into the gate. And then, then, but he was like, just don't, don't tell me what to do. I know what I'm doing. But so, yeah, there is that kind of... You need yeah. to walk that line between being assistive and, and just being completely over the top with what's happening around you and even I hate when I see strangers in in public and it's always strangers who see someone who's blind who always like I saw I went um, I was at a tram stop once and I was sitting next to this older lady who's probably in maybe her 70s and uh, we were both waiting for the same tram and this uh, lady came up she had her stick and she was completely fine you know she's she found the the tram stop pole and she was just standing by it near the curb and immediately two people um a younger sort of lady who's probably in her 30s and a 40 year old guy came up to her and started asking her if she wanted help and she sort of put her hand out and said no no I'm fine and this older lady turned to me and she was I really hate it when they do that well that's horrible and she's like they're they're, you know we're just trying to help them and I'm like but she's probably been she's probably been blind like her whole life for a substantial amount of time I think she might know how to go onto the tram like she clearly knows where this tram stop is how to get there she's not incapable of doing things for herself and she's an adult either that or she'd know when to ask for help so exactly exactly. Exactly. if someone's been living with this their whole life and if this is like a day to day situation it's not as if she's fallen or tripped or anything which is a clear indication of yeah they need help you know this is an everyday thing they would have worked out the system yeah anyway so i mean i another thing that i i dislike is just having to speak through parents and i've had to deal with that um so like emailing you know people who are prospectively wanting to um be part of great minds and like um, having to speak to the parent and i'm like okay your your kid well your kid isn't really a kid kids (laughs) like what 18 20 even seventeen, like seriously, I didn't have my I didn't have my parents like do dealings with my life. Um, even when I was seventeen, yeah, learn now. So, like, can I can I can I can I hear it from the horse's mouth? Because like, if there's a if there's another layer of communication, so you got one person, then you got this random middleman who's usually the parent. Like, what the kid's saying or what the well, not really a kid, but you know what I mean. What they're saying and what the parents saying might be different, and you know, I want that mm. direct communication, not oh, hi, random person who's acting as proxy as this person. You understand that this is a radio show. I need to actually, you need to actually speak. Yeah, it's, it's about the view. You want to know the views of that individual. And if that person wants to be on the show, how is it helpful to then have that middleman yeah. when you're? You clearly need to speak to that it's person. Like, that person needs to speak on radio. Exactly. You can't have that proxy there. That just exactly. is a barrier. And, to, like, I mean, yeah. we will never have on our show a, a mum or a dad just, like, speaking for our, a guest host or a host <laughs> or something because that would just be bizarre. Um, and also that would probably be against sin policy because I seriously doubt that they'll be under 26. So, 
exactly. you know Christian any other stories about parents oh well um when when we were organizing this camp for autism um the the organizer was talking to the well it had quite a quite a large age range this camp I think it was like 14 to to uh, late late 20s so to be fair probably wasn't sure um but by the questions that this mum was asking um the kind of the assumption was okay this girl is 14 so the um like the usual motherly questions were sort of asked like oh, oh is this going to be too cold not going to be too hot or not going to be too stressful here not too much noise um, and then like five minutes or ten minutes into the conversation um the organizer just thought okay might as well ask so how old is your daughter oh she's 25 like what it's just this this really really mm. creepy shuddering moment of okay wow um why and can't i speak to her and it doesn't get better over time like it's like i've had multiple dealings with this but every time it's still just it's freaky mm. yeah and and then the, the the irritating thing is when you do finally get in touch with the with the student because yeah this this sorry the uh the child um you know this happens all the time um very often they are perfectly capable of speaking for themselves that you know they're, they're not even shy they don't, they don't stutter they're 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 often very good communicators it's just so you, that makes you wonder well why on earth was i going through the parent before um it, sometimes it's laziness it's like sometimes automatic it's habit. response yeah. Yeah, yeah that it's just that's just what happens like mm. my parent just speaks for me mm. whenever they whenever i need that like they think that they need to yeah, it's pretty pretty weird. Now we're going to go on to another topic, which is definitely um, they definitely interlink. Um, learned helplessness within the autism community. Um, yeah, I was just talking to these guys before about um, I studied disability for a little while, and um, we came onto this whole notion of the hotel model of disability and it's, it's around learn helplessness and it's where people with disability get used to having things done for them so they don't do anything for themselves and it's like you know they get all their meals made for them they get all their room cleaned and all their clothes are cleaned and then they just get used to that and then they never move out of a home and then they never like reach that individual stage and it's just that circle of then you still get nothing done for you and you know where does that cycle end and it needs to be broken there needs that time where that person takes responsibility for themselves and unfortunately learned helplessness is something that's really prevalent in the disability community Um, and I think that you know, once you see someone who's really broken that cycle and they've, you know, moved out of home or they're, do, you know, going things on their own or they're taking more responsibility for themselves, other people cotton on. They say, I want to do that too. But so many people are isolated mm-hmm. and they don't get into that community vibe and aspect of, of disability and the autism community. And then they never learn about that. And it's they just stay like that their whole life. Yeah, exactly. Um, another, this is, Stella Young is amazing, like, I know oh, I shouldn't yes. say that she's inspirational, but she kind of is. Um, which is oh, kind of... She kind would of, hate you for that. But she would hate me, but like, I'm inspired by her like, idea of non-ins- non-ins- like, anti-inspirational... Yeah, I'm making up a word while I'm saying it. <laughs> Anti-inspirationalism. Um, yeah, exactly. It's like the, if someone who has a disability or has a different type of neurotype or so, so, such and such is actually doing things with their life, there's like this big... A whole, you know, applause for them. Yeah. Well done. You're actually being a normal person. Like, I think that's definitely an issue. Like, 
Mm. I mean, I was talking to Christian, like, outside, and he was, like, saying, you know, it's like, let's just say if I became a foreign correspondent, was doing some really cool journalism, and I got an award for it, and I was at the award ceremony, and instead of saying, oh, well done, you're a great foreign correspondent, great foreign correspondent, you're in the war zone and everything, what they say, well done, you're amazing, you have Asperger's syndrome, and you're a journalist. Exactly. Well, I I could get behind the whole, you know, you used your 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 artistic talents or artistic traits to, you know, harness that um, that sort of the Asperger superpowers. That that's sort of what I could get behind, like knowing how to use it, like coming to that uh, yeah, like definitely like using your different abilities to Mm. do something well. But you don't want to you don't want the sympathy vote. Yeah, exactly. And like I watched the um, TED talk that Stella Young did, and it's amazing. Like, she's amazing. It's, it's so good. And she had this whole she had this um, story about when she was younger, and uh, the like the she came from a small town. And they came forward and said, "We want to give her like a award, um, for like an achievement award." And her parents said, "Oh, well, that's nice, but she actually hasn't achieved anything." And they're like, "Oh." Right. And it was like that light bulb moment of, oh, having a disability isn't, and going outside is not an achievement. That's right. Oh, I forgot about that. And you see it so much. And there's always, there needs to be that difference between you achieved something um, by just doing it, and then you achieved something because you've gone out and you've actually done something that has, you know, helped the community or helped like a group of people, or, you, you know, you've got a Nobel Peace Prize because you actually did something, did something in peace, yeah. not that you just have a disability and it's like, oh, you talk to a couple of people and you've done some inspirational talks and yeah. you get an award for that. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I, mean I, find, I find that with a lot of um, speakers on autism, like who are autistic people, it's like the big deal about what they're talking about is, oh, wow, there's someone on the spectrum who can speak. <laughs> because there's, <laughs> there's such a short of that. We're, you know, we're desperate for people who are able to have a, a, you know, yeah, able to have a voice, able to talk about yeah. anything. And it's not um, like they're able... saying anything particularly new or anything. No, but, but, the, but the, I think the sad thing is that a lot of them are told that they are being inspirational and fantastic mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that you know, when you constantly hear that from everyone around you, you kind of develop this this false uh, perception of, of well, not not yourself necessarily, but what you're doing as being fantastic and inspirational and, or inspiring, when really it's just yeah. very mundane. And yeah. Anyway, so hmm. back to learned helplessness. Um, I had this situation which probably freaked me out a lot. Um, when I met someone, who had to catch a, a bus from one place to another place, and while we we're on the bus, just randomly in conversation, she said, "Oh." A couple of years ago, I had to learn how to take public transport for for myself, and she's in her late tw- in her late twenties. And when I heard that, I kind of freaked out because I'm eighteen. I take buses, trams, trains, whatever, every single day of my life, basically, currently. Um, and like, I understand that public transport is something that is stressful. I mean, trains can come like late which is really stressful and annoying, especially for people who are on the spectrum. Um, I used to hate being on buses until I started taking buses more often. So that was kind of recently because I just I was in an area where I just take the train all the time or the tram all the time, not buses. But, like, you know, buses feel weird because of how they travel. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Yeah. But I learned how to get used to it because mm. I had to. But I was kind of like, okay, you, you, you learn how to take public transport by yourself. 
you know, when you're 26 or something. So like you're already sin dead. Why, why didn't someone teach you that earlier? Why, why not when you're 16? Why not when you're 13? Yeah. Well, I, mean, I think there's that whole thing, you know, have you guys heard of travel training? Yeah, I think that was travel training. Yeah, exactly. Well, they, my sister did that when she was at school, and that was a um, special school she did that at. But that travel training was how to cross the road, um, how to walk down the road safely. And everyone's like, how is this training me to access the wider community walking down a road uh is not really challenging uh challenging is getting the bus to stop for me and being able to hail the bus and you know knowing which end of the platform i have to get on the train because if i'm Mm. at the wrong end i don't get on that train and i miss it and Mm. things like that and you know recently even we had uh, we've just moved house a couple months ago and so we moved out together and Ariane got really disheartened by the fact that this bus um, had had, uh, two separate occasions she'd gotten to the bus stop early and the bus had driven past her even though they had seen her. Mm. And she got really upset about that and then she didn't want to take the bus by herself. And I had to say, you know, that's one bus route. This other bus route you can take, like, obviously it's not going to have the same drivers on it, you'll be fine. And the other day she caught it by herself and now she's a lot, you know, happier and And more confident. It takes time to adjust, like... You know, I think even if an, a, an able-bodied person um, changed buses, like, oh, what's this place? Like, I mean, mm. I mean, obviously it'll take a bit longer for someone with a disability or a different neuro- neurotype to take a bit to understand it and or get yeah. used to it. But it's certainly not a, a spectrum-specific thing. I mean, there are, there are plenty of plenty of kids who, are, you know, they're, they're driven to uh, to primary school throughout their primary school years, and all of a sudden yeah. when they go to a high school that's further out, um, their, their parents go, okay, you have to catch the bus. Like, the, the what? The bus? What, how do what you do that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, anxiety around those mm. things, and like, doing something that's new to them. Definitely. And, mm. like, I'm, I'm, like, I definitely think that public transport is something that could be very stressful, but it's kind of like why wasn't this addressed earlier in your life? Like, mm. you know, there's, there's been so much years in your life when you were unable to, to travel by yourself. Like, she doesn't drive, I don't think. And so she must have had parents or other people around her all the time. Like, that's just so unhelpful. And, know. you know, like, I can understand people with very severe forms of autism will definitely have troubles like with something as noisy or as unpredictable as a train, hmm. but this person definitely definitely was on the milder end, and it's kind of like, look, you've probably got the same kind of autism as me, <laughs> and you know, I mean, perhaps you should have learned it earlier. Like, I mean, personally, the only way I really start, at least start, to learn anything is by being thrown in the deep end. Like, you know, all the yeah. theoretical discussion and disru- instructions, the verbal instructions, just generally don't really. It doesn't stick. I actually need to go out and make mistakes and then yeah, exactly. On like the amount of trains. I remember when I was in year nine, and that was like when I was starting to really take the public transport a lot because you know my parents were able to drive me to school and stuff. Um, I remember getting on the Sandringham line when I was meant to go on the other line and it's like, oh God, I have to go back. It was a big, it was a big drama. <laughs> but I did that the other month and I'm like, okay, I know I have to do that now. Like, yeah, like, exactly. That's, exactly. that's like, the best way to I learn mean, these things because the you thing remember is, that horrible experience. Then you I learned from that and I learned, look, actually, this, you know, I could go back to South Yarra, I could get another bus, it's all good. I had my mum, mm. I could call her. And I was like, oh, can, you, can you pick me up at this station instead because it'll be quicker? Mm. She's like, yeah. I mean, yes, I freaked out quite a bit because it was the first time I ever got the wrong train, but, mm. you know, I got over it. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's harmless, and you just have a horrible horror story in your head that enables you to never never make that same mistake again. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a big thing, education. And it's always lacking in this area, is that you don't have enough parent education. And it's not like parent education as in we need to tell you more about your child. It's we need to tell you more about you and the things that you're doing wrong potentially and the mm. things that you can improve on and the ways that you can actually help your child to succeed in a way that mm. helps them, not necessarily just talks for them or you do things for them automatically. Give them more challenges and see how far you can push their boundaries. And, like, it's the same for anyone with disability who has to go through that. You know, my sister went through the same thing. You know, she'd be like, oh, I want to, you know, feed the dog. I'm like, well, can you grasp the spoon? And so we went through that, and then she went, oh, you know, that makes me vomit in my mouth, so let's not do that again. But I can walk the dog, and I can do this. And it's that process of seeing what exactly you can and can't do. Mm. And parents need to understand that they need to go through that with their their child and that it needs to start at that young age where mm. that person needs to start getting that independence. And yeah, and I guess I think I think a lot of the idea especially and um we'll be soon playing an interview after the song, um, where um Crafrin talks about this. Um we have to understand that autistic people grow up. They 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 get they get, get old and um you know, they they have their own lives and they're no longer some kid some person's child. They're actually yeah. a grown-up individual potentially having you know a family of them of them for themselves and everything yeah you know that's a whole nother topic as well that idea that disability is children yeah there's a massive thing about and you see all the time you know that there's uh, like so many organizations pump kids as their thing and they have photos when it's not kids kids, um, and it's not just it's actually really interesting my my friend same friend who's got vision impairment um one of the organizations um, which I'm probably not going to name. Um, apparently, they're just completely. They're mainly just focused on old people who have just lo- lost their sight. However, there's not much things about young people. However, they don't um, advertise with an old lady who can't see. They advertise with a little toddler kid who can't see. Uh, so, well, look, I suppose children are. The innocence of a child is just, from a marketing perspective, it's you know, e- easier yeah. to get that sympathy. But, but, but also, uh, I suppose the one good thing we could we could say about the children focus is that you do. It is a good idea to start early, yeah, to, in definitely. those formative years. Um, but, but equally important to you know, to to um, to make sure that people who. Uh, are, yeah, you know, like what about higher ch- ed? Yeah. What about um, Work, you know, even high yeah, school, yeah. TAFE, workplace. Yeah. workplace. Um, Parents, parenthood, and, yeah. like because you know your kid is actually not a kid anymore. They're going to have their own kids. <laughs> yeah, um, different impl- different implications for every single stage of your life. Exactly, not just childhood and and school. I'm speaking to Catherine Anir from ASAN, which is the Autistic Self Advocacy Network. Can you just quickly tell tell me how you got involved with ASAN? It's been a long journey since um, some of us got together on the internet in the early 2000s, so um, probably 13 or 14 years ago, um, to talk about advocacy and we set up our own small organisation around self-advocacy and then a few years later when the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network in the US came about, we wrote to them and said we'd like to affiliate with them and they were really happy about that. So we um, decided to take on some of the same um, goals and aspirations 
and use the same um, logo, etc., so that we could support each other. And I think that was really helpful in getting our um, ideas and um, everything consolidated and having a relationship with people in a different country like the US, which has kind of a different rights-based approach to advocacy and to disability rights. So we were very excited to be part of that and part of a growing organisation. Um, so, and then in the recent years, we've been lucky to meet Ari Neeman, who's the um, head of the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network in America. So. Um, yeah, those things have been useful and supportive for us. What do you think is the importance of self-advocacy, especially in regards to autism, which is currently very much dominated by the medical field and parents' groups? Um, well, I guess it is self-advocacy is about understanding who you are and what your needs are and um, making sure that you get your needs met that's in its simplest form it kind of makes the personal political so that when you go out there and advocate for your needs as an autistic person you're really um, pushing the boundaries for all autistic people so you can do it on an individual basis for your own um, rights and to have your own needs met but each time you do it it's also making sure that you pave the way for other autistic people and in other ways, we do systemic advocacy, which means that we write as a group to governments or political bodies or research bodies to open up a dialogue with them about what it is they're doing for autistic people. So at the moment, we're working with the Cooperative Research Centre on their head statement for their research. So it's basically their overall statement about what the CRC is going to do in terms of how it researches the autistic population. So that's something we feel is really, really important is working on that statement with them so it's as inclusive as possible of autistic people and recognises that autistic people are research subjects but they can also contribute to the research as researchers and designers of the research. It's multifaceted self-advocacy and it can be just as simple as, you know, you going to interact with the government maybe through Centrelink or through, um, you know, another government agency or an institution like an education institution and asking for your support needs to be met as an autistic person or you can work with whole of government to try and change policy and funding as well. Um, what do you think are some of the biggest issues facing autistic people in Australia? Um, probably one of the core issues is recognition that autism spectrum disorders are lifelong and not just childhood issues. So um, the fact that autistic adults exist is still a bit of a contentious issue in terms of making people aware that autistic adults exist and have needs, particularly when the majority of older adult people who are autistic are still in institutions so or in group homes. So people say, oh, well, you know, where are all those people with autism? Well, they're still in residential institutions and they're in their 50s, 60s and 70s and we don't know much 
about those older people on the autism spectrum. And then we have a whole range of people that have been diagnosed in the last 15 years with autism or Asperger's syndrome who are now just entering adulthood and need a range of support with education, accommodation, um, income support, finding work, being able to live as full a life as possible just like everybody else. So a lot of the a lot of the work that needs to be done is around having people's basic needs met, but also there's problems in interacting with the education system, with employment networks, with the justice system, getting appropriate health care. So yeah, I think there are a whole range of issues that need to be addressed. But one of the most important ones is recognition of adults. We had um an interview with Catherine and Nia who is from the Autism Self-Advocacy Network, Australia, New Zealand. Um, I think, yeah, I was really good interviewing her. She was a really cool person to interview and it was really, really hard to cut it down to um, five and a half minutes because she was just... Awesome. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Like, and she was talking about some other things like um, intersection... Groups. So, um, Asan is currently working with PFLAG. Um, PFLAG is parents and friends of lesbian, gay, foot youth. Yeah, I think it was called that. I'm not sure exactly what it's called. Um, so, doing stuff about um, autism, autistic people who also identify as LGBT, which is really interesting. Um, I think that's really cool. Um, yeah, that's a that's a really interesting topic um, because yeah, like it's. I think it's a common well, it's a common thing for a lot of people to question that, but I think um, particularly with people on the spectrum, because uh, apparently yeah. they like their uh, sort of their sexuality develop their sexual development is in you know, feelings for opposite sex, same sex, whoever is uh, about five years behind. Some some researchers yeah. say. So I, I mean, um, also, um, Catherine was saying that while it's not necessarily that there are more gay people who are also on this on the spectrum, it's more mm. that people who are on the spectrum who are gay are more likely to talk about it. So it's kind of interesting. Um, oh, no, I, I, don't, I don't think it's... Uh, apparently it's actually less common, homosexuality, than... than um, or, or, I'm not sure. Than, yeah, we'll we'll at least cover this in another show. Um, <laughs> we should. Um, we'll cover it in another show. But, but anyway, it's, it's kind of natural to you know, question where do I fit on the whole sexuality continuum when you seem to be, at, at school at least, um, quite a way behind your peers. But, but, but that said, I've met quite a few Aspies and people on the spectrum who were very much uh, players when, um, when, they, when they were... <laughs> 13 players like, well you know I have a friend who like you know, there were about four girls he liked but none of them liked him back so that was a little bit sad but yeah he was sort of a crash course in the subtleties of dating um, at, uh, at 13 so, of yeah. dating. so not everyone is behind it's sort of you know of course we can only talk in patterns but exactly <laughs> but I, I certainly was um, anyway um, Amaret have you had any other dealings with Catherine and Nia I haven't I thought you s- didn't you speak to no. me on the okay. <laughs> Anything in the interview that you found interesting? Well, you're just talking about that whole sexuality thing. Mm. It's just not a talked about issue. No, nah, it isn't. And that's I think that's also think it... with generalized like with disability that it's just not a talked about subject. And again, talking about the education part, you know, parents. And even siblings don't think about it, and then they don't want to know about it, and it just becomes this whole awkward 
stage that you're yeah. in that you then can't express that. I mean, I guess it's also probably related to the whole parents are the main voice currently. Like, seriously, parents might be talking about their, their well, offspring's life, but they're not talking about their sex life. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, like, these the statistics I was sort of slightly spewing um, before this came, came from the uh, from from the conference, and unfortunately, one thing that was uh, was that was said was that well, I think some parents are a bit reluctant to uh, they don't really like the idea of their child being queer because they just think, oh great, another minority that they're a part of, another thing that separates them from the norm, yeah. another thing they well, have to reconcile. That's unfortunately, What's so good about this norm that everyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, what is what it is the point really of being boring. normal? I know, it's boring to me, but but I, 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 I just take the view that you know, be out and proud about anything that's different about you because there's just no hiding from the reality that. You know, you you are different. There's only so long you can pretend to be straight or not autistic or whatever the norm. This boring. Be a fabulous yeah. queer autistic person. You. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's just. The you way were I've... born this way. <laughs> exactly. That's just the way I've always plowed through. Because I just think you know the truth will come out eventually. So I will. The truth out. will come yeah. out. Eventually. <laughs> come out. <laughs> you know, it'll, it'll it'll show. It's it's just ridiculous to think you can hide it from anyone that you're going to come into contact with you know, on a daily basis or on a regular basis. It's just these. It, it's it's. Re- I I just always think it's it's the reality. You have to acknowledge it. Um, yeah, otherwise, you're just living in a fantasy world. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, from aside from that, I think the whole reiteration that autistic people actually grow up. It's not Peter Pan syndrome. It's <laughs> Asperger's syndrome or a whole yeah. lot of other things. Mm. You know, it's. I think that's a really, really important thing that we should like repeat, repeat, repeat. Mm. And I think there's that em- emphasis um, with. Um, being on the autism spectrum, that it's there's always that emphasis on uh, you know when your child's diagnosed, go into early intervention. That's the most important time for your child. Yeah, it's important. That's uh, no one doubts that. But there's that time when they're gonna go through puberty and they're gonna go, wow, this is weird, and freaking me out a bit. And no one thinks about that. And especially if you go to special schools, like there are some absolutely terrible schools out there who just don't do anything with that at all and it's like if you get pregnant you have a baby and that's it that's your like sexual education okay well we are actually running a little bit short on time unfortunately um so we're gonna have to end it here um so be sure to like us on facebook www.facebook.com forward slash great minds on sin and follow us on Twitter at Great Mind Sin. Tune in next week, same time, same channel, and we'll give you some more awesomeness on the spectrum. Bye. Thanks, Bye. Bye. Thanks for having us.